your Bible with you. We're in Luke chapter 1. This is a long chapter. We're still here. After our Lord Jesus lived His life of perfect obedience that He then offered up as a sacrifice on the cross and God raised Him from the dead, He ascended back to the right hand of the Father from which He would send the promised Holy Spirit to abide in and empower His church on the earth. But before He ascended, He made a promise in Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Earlier, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, He promised His disciples in the context of the authority of the church that where two or three are gathered together to do the Lord's will in His church, He will be in the midst of them. Jesus loves His church. She is His bride. God has moved heaven and earth that they might be one even as He and the Father, Jesus and the Father are one in John 17, that He might dwell with us and us with Him. Do we enter this place and live each day with an awareness of the presence of Jesus with us? When we gather as a church, do we gather with awe and reverence at Him? Does His presence bring us joy unspeakable and full of glory. The presence of Jesus ought to invoke praise. Where Jesus is, there is life and joy and peace. There is the promise incarnate. There is the assurance of salvation, of His Lordship, and that God's will for us and for history will be accomplished. We don't see Him with our eyes this morning, but this Jesus who first resided on earth in the womb of this young virgin woman named Mary is present with us right now. He is the Lord and Savior and Shepherd of His church and we have every reason to respond to the ongoing presence of Jesus with joy and thanksgiving. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. That it is truth, that it is inerrant, infallible, inspired, authoritative. And that in Your grace, You have spoken to us in it. Lord, please help me preach this morning under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, O God. I am nothing without You, especially as a preacher in these moments. Lord, so please help me. Father, I pray for all that have gathered in this place that You would soften every heart and open every ear that Your Word might be heard. And we ask this and pray in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 39 of Luke 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. In this text, the two great figures of salvation, the end of the old covenant era and the beginning of the new, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, finally come together. Both of their births have been announced. It's time for them to finally meet. Both of their mothers who conceive them under miraculous circumstances, also come together 
And so John is brought into the presence of Jesus while both are still in their mother's wombs. Luke is bringing the forerunner of the Messiah and the Messiah himself together early so that we'll trace their relationship carefully throughout the rest of this infancy narrative and the Gospel of Luke itself. Again, these two babies also represent two eras. And so what we see in them is what we're meant to think about those two eras, the one that's ending and the one that's beginning. Originally, I planned to look at this section. I think you have it in your bulletin this way. And Mary's Magnificat, that song she breaks out into here. Originally, I planned to look at those together with this section, but I do think Mary's song is probably meant to stand alone. It acts as the climax to the first part of this infancy narrative, and we... Um, I want to be able to spend plenty of time on it. I didn't want to rush that part of it. And, and also, the visitation account has its own structure anyway that is kind of telling you, Luke is telling you by the structure that this section, 39 to 45, is meant to stand on its own. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. But the way Luke arranges this narrative, where the focus is on Elizabeth's response to the presence of Mary and the baby that's in her womb, even when she's pregnant, means Luke is focusing on the close relationship there will be between Jesus and John. What stands out in this structure, what makes it what it is, is the presence of Jesus, and He's in utero. He's just conceived in the womb of Mary. He's there. Everything that happens here is a response to the presence of God now in the flesh. This baby gestating inside of Mary. The presence of the Lord causes a physical response by the child John who's in Elizabeth's womb. Who knew that babies could recognize Jesus? That babies could leap in joy and faith even in the womb? Luke makes the point of telling us twice that John did this in the womb in verse 41 and verse 44. All the way back in Genesis 25-22, Jacob and Esau struggled in their mother, Rebecca's womb, foreshadowing the relationship they would have with one another. That is, the firstborn would serve the secondborn. That will also be the case with John and Jesus. Here, John the forerunner responds to the presence of Jesus the Messiah, not the other way around. And John is technically six months older. And so he's foreshadowing the role that John the Baptist will have in relation to Jesus throughout their whole lives and ministries. The physical presence of Jesus in the flesh, the agent of creation himself, causes amazing things to happen within that creation. The new creation is already beginning here in this moment, and a baby still in the womb hails its beginning. Something massive is happening here. When John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb, he's foreshadowing the miracles of Jesus that will cause all creation to leap for joy. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me, Jesus will say to tell John the Baptist who's in prison later in Luke 7, 22 and 23. But the presence of Jesus incarnate in Mary's womb also evokes praise from Elizabeth. This is Mary's aunt, much older. She bursts out here in the language of a psalm of this Worshipful liturgy in verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In fact, when she reiterates just how blessed Mary is in verse 45, it comes out like a beatitude, doesn't it? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The whole context is one of worship 
because Jesus is present. That's what you do when Jesus is present. Elizabeth is presented with the presence of God and then the child within her womb miraculously leaps. She interprets this not to be a simple kick, which babies do all the time. She interprets it to be the baby's expression of joy. And finally, she is filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 41. Back in verse 15, if you can remember, the angel Gabriel prophesied that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And it's already coming to fulfillment here in his mother. Elizabeth, now filled with the Holy Spirit, blesses Mary because of the fruit of her womb. She exclaimed with a loud cry, the text says, that Mary was blessed. Elizabeth, this once barren woman, is the first to worship the Christ child. Her words here are like the first worship song for a Christian service. She proclaims that Jesus in Mary's womb is the cause of her blessedness, just as Jesus in His church is the source of our blessedness. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And you have to remember the era of which Elizabeth is a part. She's a part of that Old Testament era. She's a member of the Old Testament remnant. And her blessing here is patterned after a formula of Old Testament blessing. To be blessed is to be in a condition that only God can grant. Mary is blessed here because an act of divine grace on her, which God gave to her as a gift. Mary is blessed because of the presence of Jesus. Again, just like the church is blessed because of the presence of Jesus. Because Jesus dwells in us. So, beloved, you don't have to wait for or seek out God's blessing on your life. I just saw earlier this morning some guy, some pastor on Twitter that said, say it with me, declare that this will be the most blessed and favored and prosperous year of your life. And of course, everybody's, yes, amen, amen, amen. Let's revisit that in a year. Let's revisit all those people in 12 months and see what kind of blessed year they have. Because they don't mean the presence of Jesus that they already have. They mean money and comfort and prosperity and all those things that the world can give you anyway if you work hard enough for it. We are blessed because Christ is with us. God is with us. The fact that our minds have to wrestle with that. Am I really blessed in spite of all the things that are going on in my life? Am I actually considered blessed because I'm favored by God through salvation? That Christ is with me right now regardless of what is happening in my life? Do we count that the blessing that it is? Just the presence of Jesus? Or are we? is that not enough? There always has to be more. Yes, Lord, but, but if you could blank, if you would blank, but instead... He's with us. You have Him. You have heaven. We don't have to wait for God's blessing. We don't have to reserve the counting of our blessings to material things. Because that's what we'll do, right? That's what we would do. That's what we would look to. Sweet little moments where we felt especially blessed. Our feelings destroy us. They kill us. We rely on them. We get everything from them. We determine what is true through our feelings. We determine what we'll love and worship and admire and respect through our feelings. Christ is with you regardless of your feelings. Christ is transcendent of your feelings. We don't have to wonder 
by how well life goes, whether or not God loves us and cares about us. We've already been indescribably blessed in Christ who is always with us. He would say eternal life is not really about longevity, but knowledge. This is eternal life, Jesus says, to know you, the only true God and His Son whom you have sent. That's what it means to live forever. It's to know God forever. And He has given us Himself now to begin this eternal quest to know Him. His presence is a blessing because His absence is a curse. And all of you that know Christ are blessed. All of you that do not abide under God's curse this morning. And in the person of Christ, God Himself has come near to save, not to condemn. That's not, see, Jesus came to rescue those of you who are cursed. He came to get you, to save you. He loves you. He's, that, that's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. Because He loves the whole world. And He would rather see us repent than condemn us. He abides and remains with us now. His church, individually and as a people, by His Spirit, the God who is three in one. To have one of the persons of the Trinity is to have the whole Trinity. We recognize Mary for how God blessed her when we have the faith of Mary. When we believe like Mary did. Look at verse 45 again. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What's Elizabeth referring to? She's referring to Mary in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That was the expression of Mary's faith and is the faith that receives salvation here and now. We talked about that last week. Arthur Just writes that Mary's blessedness is a state of faith that grasps the future promises of God that are already beginning to come to fulfillment for her and in her. And the same thing happens. That's just what happens by our faith in Christ today. We believe His promise that all who believe in Christ will be saved and God does the work of new creation in us that awaits its consummation, its eternal blessing in the new heavens and the new earth. The Spirit seals us for that day here and now. Blessed are you among women in verse 42 shapes that beatitude in verse 45. It shows Mary to be the vessel that contains the presence of God in her Son. And so in a sense, she can represent the church here because in a very real sense, we also hold Christ within us for the world. Here, God abides with us. Here, Jesus is present for Moundsville, for the Ohio Valley, for the entire world. Without the presence of Christ, we are just a building. We're a collection of people, a religious club. We're not the church without the presence of Christ. Just like Mary was not blessed among women, but just another pious Galilean woman if she'd not been chosen to bear the Savior. Mary is almost like a new tabernacle during her pregnancy where the now the presence of God dwells among mankind, humankind in human flesh. So, beloved, we aren't just here. right? We're not just a building or a club. We bear the Savior for the world in this place and everywhere we go to all our neighbors and to the world because He now lives within us by His Holy Spirit. 
This is what we have for the world. Without Jesus, the church has nothing to offer the world. Nothing. Everything the church could offer the world, other than Jesus, the world is capable of doing the same thing for the world. And they tax us into oblivion to do it. But, the world needs the church for salvation, not for something else. The seed of Eve, the first woman in Genesis 3.15, and the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis 22.18, 26.4, 28.14, of whom all God's great promises were made, is now in the womb of Mary. This is it. The Old Testament promise, the Old Testament promise, has come true. All those births and all those genealogies, Tracing the line from Adam to Abraham to Judah to David have found their fulfillment in Jesus. So no wonder Elizabeth proclaims to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. After the promise in Genesis 3.15, it is in childbearing that woman, Eve, all womankind will be saved, says 1 Timothy 2.15, yes, because from a woman will come the Savior for all men and women. Now, after all those other births, in this one chosen and favored woman's womb, salvation dawns. A salvation that will bless all men and all women. But Mary is blessed among, that is, above all other women, from Eve to Sarah to Rebecca to Leah to Ruth and so on, because in her the promise comes to life. And that blessing of God's grace in her womb will come to all believers, to all children of Zion, the new Israel of God in Galatians 6.16 and Romans 11. Mary is unique even among the most blessed women in Scripture since the fruit of her womb is the God and Savior of the entire human race. God would accomplish our salvation through a natural birth. He works within the means of what He's made to save us. Right? If, if the womb isn't too natural, alright, not to get crass or anything, but if afterbirth and all that comes with giving birth is not too natural for God to give His salvation, literally, then your mess is nothing you need to worry about. God redeems and He washes and He cleans and He gives life. He did this through earthly means. We understand verse 45 to refer, first of all, to Mary's faithful response to the angel back in verse 38. She receives the word of the angel in faith and places herself in submission to this word from the Lord. Elizabeth is affirming then what Mary said to the angel. That was the right thing to say. You're blessed by God because that's how you believe. Mary is the first among many, isn't she, who will believe that God's promise to become flesh for our redemption was coming to fulfillment in the child in her womb. She's the first one to believe that. The first in Luke's Gospel to fulfill the reason for which he wrote it back in verse 4. So Mary points the way here, doesn't she, for Theophilus and all the rest who encounter the presence of God in the proclamation of His Word in the church where God now dwells on the earth. Later in Luke 8, 21, Jesus says that His mother and brothers are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. 
Mary is the first to hear the word of promise and do it, keep it. That is, to receive it as the truth from God. That's what it means to keep the word. Let it be to me according to your word. All that say that are the family of Jesus. Later, when a woman refers to Mary by saying, Blessed is the womb that carried you and the breast which nursed you, Jesus will actually point that woman away from Mary herself to God's gift of faith to Mary. Rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In Luke 11, 27 and 28. We don't look to Mary for our salvation. We don't look to her to worship. But we want to recognize God's favor on her as the means of salvation. And her faith, the means by which that salvation is received. Mary, the mother of our Lord, heard the words of the angel from the Lord. She was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and she conceived Jesus. Filled with grace and faith, she carried this holy child for nine months and then raised him more or less for 30 years or so as her own son. She heard the word of the Lord and cherished it and received it and trusted it. The fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord would ultimately pierce her soul with a sword later in 35 we read when she watched her son that she bore be crucified that she would also be there on the third day God would keep her in the faith God is with us how do you respond when you are aware that Jesus is present here's the thing Right? We don't make Jesus appear through our song. That's, that's not what makes Jesus. We don't call him down. He doesn't get closer or farther away based on the sincerity of our music or our prayers or the quality of the sermon. He's just with us. Now you, you don't have to literally leap like John the Baptist does in utero, right? We're grown adults, most of us. We don't leap. Right? I can't leap anymore. I can't hardly carry water up my porch step without my knees just about giving up. That's where I am in life. But we could respond with some type of genuine affection that He's here, that He's with us, here in church and at home, at work even. Is affection for Jesus what draws you to this place? This place. Is it affection for Jesus that draws you to this place? Is it that you desire to meet with other believers for the unique personal experience of the presence of the Lord that church the gathered place. Again, it's not that God only abides with us in this place in the New Covenant era, but He does abide with us in this place as a gathered people in a unique way. What brings you to church week after week after week after week? What brings you to It could be habit, and that's not a bad habit. Right? If that's a habit in your life, glory to God that that's a habit. But are, are, are we aware of why we're coming? 
some of us come probably to make sure everything's on the up and up. That it stays the same. The way it's supposed to be. We monitor. Some of us, young people are normally, when I was young, you you know, you got into the college and career ages. The church calls that age group for some reason, college and career. You came to church mainly to scope out the single scene. You know, find a mate. Right? There are all kinds of reasons we can come here. Is the presence of Jesus with his church what brings you here? It makes no sense to come to church if you're indifferent to whether or not you receive from Christ. These moments that we have when we gather together should transcend all of that stuff. But for this little amount of time that we're given, let all the focus, all the time, all the energy go to Christ. If you were to come all three times, that's about three hours of your week. He's getting, and, and I'm not saying like you need to have a service every day. That's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm saying, in reality, the unified gathering of the church, you're getting about three hours of that experience of the presence of Jesus. God doesn't show up at 1045 every Sunday to see what we brought Him. He doesn't come to make sure that we're dressed all right. He's with us outside and inside these walls. He is constant, ever faithful surrounding us with shouts of deliverance that are meant to bring us joy that is actually inexpressible and filled with glory at the same time. Something much realer and deeper than than a mere leap of excitement, as holy as that was. This is something a human being can only have when God has come near, not just to visit or to judge but to abide and remain with us in the fulfillment of His promise. Having that truth reiterated to you is in my mind the reason that we gather. To be told again and again and again He is with us. He is for us. It is finished. His presence is His approval in that context. He loves us. God knows what you did this week. God knows what you've said this week. God knows what you've whispered this week. God knows what you thought this week. And you're here, breathing. He loves you. And you're welcome here. Regardless of what you've said and done this week, or thought this week, or whispered this week. You are welcome in the presence of God. Christ has made it so, and it is so. I'm not the guardian of that. No one in here is the guardian of that. Christ accomplished that. That's His will for you. We have every reason to respond to the ongoing presence of Jesus with joy and thanksgiving. If God has come near, our condemnation is over. Our slavery to the fear of death is ended. If God has come near, I am not the sum total of the choices I have made. If that's the case for humanity, we're all going to hell. But instead, we will reap 
what Jesus has sown. His presence means that. It means our sins are forgiven. That His righteousness is ours. That we are justified by grace through faith and accepted by God in the Beloved. Accepted by God. Many of us will spend our whole lives seeking validation and acceptance from other people. I still am. And yet all the time, Regardless of who accepts me, who rejects me, who likes me, who hates me, what I do, what I say, regardless of these things, in Christ, I am accepted by God forever, irrevocably His. Not because I'm hanging on, but because Christ holds fast. And this presence is ours to experience at all times and in all places. He is here for the taking. So receive Him. Receive Him.